90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Grades are in, yay. <laughs> so is that why we were mysteriously absent last week? No, I, that was to take a retreat to discover how to teach field geology with a computer. <laughs> yes, yeah, so for those of you that were missing us last week, we're very sorry, but yeah. Shannon was literally buried under a mound of work. <laughs> literally. Um, which is what we're going to make into the whole uh, the whole show this week because I think um, I think probably our listeners have some really good points and could uh, you know, provide some good feedback for this cautionary tale of ridiculousness. <laughs> Well, and you know, in the in the pre-show chat, we were talking uh, <laughs> talking about several things, and I think this is a lot deeper topic. And when I say you were literally buried in work, I mean you were hunkered down and focused. <laughs> it's so. I mean, with all of this, you know, quarantining at home, and I'm sure a bunch of our listeners have this, you know. The same problem that I do, which there's kids running around and Netflix only is a babysitter that's good for so long <laughs> and all this. Um, I'm, I mean, I have to next week start field camp, which is six weeks of field mapping, and it has to be online. And so while that seemed ridiculously daunting, <laughs> um, there is a light at the end of the sort of tunnel now. I think it's a light or a freight train. We'll see in six weeks which one it is. <laughs> so are you going to go sit in your car for the next six weeks and record so we can have our summer <laughs> summer shorts vibe that we normally do? <laughs> I could totally do that. I'll drive the car like to the back of my property so it's looking at some trees so it, you know, feels like. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my Wi-Fi will reach down there now. <laughs> um, that was great. I did bring my microphone last week. To, with the intention of recording, but, um, and I was going to do that, our new Suburban that we have for Fuel Camp that we won't get to use. It has Wi-Fi in it. <laughs> I was so excited. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, oh, this is going to make the podcast so much easier to record. <laughs> 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 or at least upload. But, um, yeah, so uh, I took my TAs out to our field locations in Colorado and we were basically tasked ourselves with trying to figure out how to make field camp on the computer. I mean, yeah. I, I guess th there are lots of technologies that I could see being used to do this, but nothing can nothing can produce gnats and heat <laughs> and choya. <laughs> so. So I have to give a massive shout out to the National Association of Geoscience Teachers Community because the second schools were canceled, they were right there. And I've been on 50, it feels like 50, it's only like five, uh, Zoom calls a week with all of us coming together to try to figure this out. Um, and so that was exactly what came up today, which like we're wrapping up because field camps are starting. And so we're wrapping up a lot of our work. And all of us were very punch drunk, sort of, oh, my gosh, this has been so hard. We're all commiserating. And one of the women was like, what are students going to com 
complain about and like have this camaraderie about now. She said, now that they, this is great, now that they, you know, don't have to hike up this hill barefoot with one cheese and tomato sandwich between them for eight hours. (laughs) (laughs) And I I said, I'm sure it's going to be how crappy their office chairs are (laughs) and how much their backs hurt. (laughs) Right. And then she said, no, that's us. (laughs) So, you know. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's that's it, I guess. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. You're going to have to get you uh, one of those adult-size bean bags. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. One of those gamer chairs or something. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's real funny because the more that I worked on this, I mean, and we're still working on it. It's not Field Can't Start the next Tuesday. Um. The more I realized, like, a lot of skills that a lot of the students that have to have field camp this summer. So, like, half of my students have decided to wait until next summer because they can. They're just juniors now. Um, But half of them have to have it because they're graduating and they have grad school in the fall. And so I think those students that have to go through this might come out with more career skills than maybe traditional field camp would give you. And that is very hard for me to admit <laughs> in that they're going to be having to do digital everything like they will in, in their careers. Yes. Correct. <laughs> um, we kind of settled on a theme of that for our camp. Um, you know, I, I might wind up interviewing you, no surprise. Uh, <laughs> and a lot of other people to do sort of career talks because I really do think you know, they're not going to have that camaraderie building experience when you get stung by a choya or whatever. Um, or you go to the hospital 20 times because you're dehydrated or, right. you know, they're not going to have that. But they are going to come out with GIS experience, which they don't get in our geology curriculum. I mean, they can take the class themselves, but they don't get it in our geology curriculum. Um, they're going to come out of it with um, not necessarily programming experience, Um but we might have them make some Google Earth or Google Tour Builder things as part of their projects. So they're going to come out of it with that. Um, they're going to come out of it with having to learn a software package in a week to get a job done. There you go. And that's hard to do. You know, We talk about that on here a lot, which is kind of what I wanted to talk about today. Um, and you always say, and this is really hard to do. You know, if you want to learn something digitally, it's hard to do when you don't know where to start. Um, But having a problem and then using the tool to solve it is a good way to do that. And this is just essentially, as I'm writing the syllabus today, I mean, it's just a a forced set of problems, which it is at field camp too. But this is like, here's your problem and here's the software, like make it happen. And you just have to... You just have to like get in there and mess with it. There's no way around it. And that perfectly describes most work environments because as you're saying, you know, here's your problem, here's the set of tools, you need to just get over it and solve it quickly. <laughs> that is every day as a consultant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so as we were discussing before the show, and maybe it's not the best thing to use, but it's what you right. have to use. <laughs> Right. You know, we've we've recently had a, a customer that had a bunch of pre-existing equipment that we did not get to be involved in the, the selection process of. And 
that literally just dropped off, you know, a large pickup load of, of equipment. And so this is all supposed to go together somehow. Uh, we, we need it in a couple of weeks. Good luck. And the, the <laughs> manual for one piece of this equipment, one piece is over 4,000 pages. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's where we are this week. And that is, that's what happens in any job, not just this. If you go in the energy industry anywhere, there's a problem. It always needs to be solved yesterday. And the reason it's not solved is because it's hard. It, right. Exactly. I, I'm going to read you this exact sentence from my syllabus sentences. Um, you know, so I said, you'll be given ample time to download the appropriate software. Uh, some software will come with exercises to familiarize yourself with the software. But know that it is up to you to simply play around and get to know the software packages and their capabilities. This is what you will be expected to do in the workforce. <laughs> and I bolded exactly. that part. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah. And so the more I write this, the more I'm like, ooh, this is, this is probably better career building <laughs> than mapping I guess uh, I mean that's not totally true so the field mapping part of the normal field camp is all about critical thinking right you're developing critical thinking and problem solving skills which are invaluable but some of that might be able to be done digitally too oh oh <laughs> depending on how this goes I could see future field camps having half the number of mapping areas but large integration with the digital tools that you use now uh our our field camp will 100 percent um so i just let, let me run through what we came up with and sort of what like the challenges were with this because this was literally if anyone has listened to this before knows how i feel about computers <laughs> and uh, you know this was like the worst thing that could happen to me <laughs> So, so let me describe in my mind what I envisioned when you said that you were going to make these virtual field trips. You remember those books where you would read it and then it's like, what do you do? You know, if you go into the room, turn to page 86. Choose your own adventure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those. I'm seeing that, but in like PowerPoint form. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what's happening. <laughs> So, but that seems really time consuming to do. So what did you actually decide to do? Oh man. All right. So since I've been a part of all these, um, all these small focused working groups about how to do this, right? Uh, <laughs> there are lots of things that have, you know, come to light that exist out there. And a lot of the stuff that already exists is pretty basic and is aimed at intro geology. So that's what was hard is that all of us were like, oh, this stuff's really cool, but it's not built for a capstone course. Uh, so how do we do this? Um, and it started with, obviously, Google Earth, right? So everybody's like, well, you, you're going to use Google Earth. There's no way around it. And you should. It's great. But the deal is, and I don't know how much you know about this, so Google Earth Pro is going away. It's, right. It's becoming a web app. Yes. It's, it's minimally supported. All the functionality of it is not in the web app. Yes. Uh, <laughs> not even a little bit. And so I have only minimally messed with Google Earth. Uh, but, you know, there are KML files. You zip them up. There are KMZ files. 
that you can import and you can do all this stuff in. And in Google Earth Pro, you can do things like bring in 3D models and draw all over it. And the web app doesn't have that functionality. But everyone says, if you're making something new, make it in the web app because it's not going to be supported. And right. the other thing is most students, and maybe you you have a an intern that's way younger than us, so maybe you've noticed this. Students do everything on their phone. Yes. So <laughs> recently we had even had the discussion of like, did you get that email I sent you? And it, it's, it was almost like talking to you of like, well, I, I don't check email, but you know, once a week, like nobody sends things to my email. <laughs> yep. <laughs> almost like talking to me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So... You can't Google Earth Pro on your phone. <laughs> and they said, nope. like, for accessibility, which I totally get, and I'm totally behind, um, behind as in supportive, of making it accessible to everybody. Because I was a poor student that had to, like, borrow a laptop, and it was embarrassing to ask for one and terrible and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but, yeah, so you have to make it where students can do stuff on their phones. They're writing reports on their phones by choice, <laughs> Yeah, I <laughs> I got nothing. I I can't even imagine nope. that. Even on an iPad that still feels foreign sometimes. I much know. Less a phone. I I I don't even like my Surface Pro's keyboard. Well, that's that's a different show about us being keyboard snobs, but <laughs> <laughs> hardcore keyboard snobs. Um <laughs> yeah, we're definitely going to have that show soon. Um yeah, so the web app. It's it's more set up to be a show and tell type thing because I guess Google also has this Google Earth engine. Right. Which is which... sort of like the data crunching side, whereas Pro could kind of do both of those things. Yeah, and Earth engines, they've been it's been around for a while and they've right. been starting to push it heavier. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, so the web app you cannot have 3d models in and all this jazz and they're real cagey about when that's going to happen and so we sit down and i said okay everyone that's done presentations on this says start from scratch do not import into the web app all right so we're like okay that's in our mind that's what we're going to do so what do we go out and do what do we need to do what we're trying to replace was a one-day intro field trip to the geology of the canyon city area okay great we're going to film me at every stop that we make talking about the rocks. Cool. Got it. So that's the thing. Then the rest of that week in IRL field camp um, is a strat column that everyone has to measure the rock units, describe them all, and then painstakingly draft this beautiful strat column. It's my favorite assignment because it really shows off. Well, it's my favorite assignment if I have artistic students <laughs> because it really shows off what they can do. Um, and then you have the ones like me that are like, can I do this as a spreadsheet? <laughs> oh, yes, I do. <laughs> and then they're like, okay, well, I'll draw it like it is a spreadsheet. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's a, that's a one week of camp. And then the next week of camp is going back to that same location and then mapping it. And so we do like a half day where I walk you through it, even though you're already familiar with it a little bit. 
and we talk about like what mapping looks like, what you're looking for, and then they go get let on their own. And the chicken with us throughout the day during the week, and that's it. So how do you recreate that? <laughs> okay, the one day field trip that was easy, and we actually did it with Tour Builder, right? And I say we because I had a lot of help, which is a whole other thing. Like, how do you plan this massive endeavor when I'm used to being like the worker bee that does everything and cannot relinquish control because I have crippling control issues, <laughs> but also because you know, I want to, I want to do everything, right? Like I want to be the one that does it, but you just can't. Right. Like, I had to triage, right? We had like four days out there and I have, you know, willing helpers. Like you just have to say, this is what you're going to do. And I don't know exactly how you're going to do it, but just get it done, which is painful. And, well, <laughs> and then you have to say the even more painful thing of, and I don't care how you did it as long as the end result is good. Maybe not the exact thing that i envisioned or how i would have done it but as long as it gets there it we're gonna fit in this constraint of time and space that we have oh correct and that's super painful to do um i know it is for you as well completely oh yeah (laughs) so so that was hard so it's like okay i'm gonna be the one in these videos i'll talk we'll do a couple takes by the end of the day it's like nope just one take we got to get all this done you know i still actually have a couple i need to voice over um and so, yeah, that's it. So that's a tour builder thing because that day is very linear. Like it is definitely a, you stop here, you stop here, you stop here, right? We walk up the stratigraphic column. So that makes It, it sense. is a field trip. You, you get right. out, there's some talky parts, you get back in, you drive, you get out, there's some talky parts, you eat lunch. Correct. Yeah, and taking lots and lots of notes because this is the intro to everything, right? So write everything I say down. Okay. All right, so this is cool. This is its standalone thing, and it's standalone because it is linear. You can just play it. Like we're gonna host the, we're gonna host the videos on YouTube. I bought a DJI Osmo Pocket, which is the coolest thing ever. I have lots of questions about that for <laughs> offline. But. Okay, <laughs> it was amazing. Uh, uh, totally worth it. Totally worth it for this. Um, okay, so that's cool. Now, we get to this web app thing, and so we have to do two more things, which is build this stratigraphy exercise and build this mapping exercise. And how do you take digital strike and dips? How do you do it? Yeah, I am <laughs> I am dying to hear what you all have decided to do, because even better than that, how do you simulate measuring a strat column? Mm-hmm. Well, that's the easy you, part as opposed to taking a digital strike and dip. But <laughs> Well, fair. I, I mean, I guess the only thing I could imagine is you've got, you know, you measure a bunch and there are places on the map where they could click and see your reading. Oh, no. Hmm. So, so that was, that's discussed. So how do you do this? Because what you need, what you would do at IRL is you've got a Jacob staff and you're literally walking it perpendicular to strike. Right. And the magical math stick gives you a thickness. It's great. Right. It's magic. It's literal magic. <laughs> um, so what do you do? Well, you have to have an area that is <laughs> free of enough vegetation <laughs> that you can sort of tell contacts. And I don't mean exactly. And God knows I will not be 
grading this to even like the 50 foot interval. You know what I mean? Um, but you can tell enough from all the pictures we're providing along this line. So the strat column's separate. It's, it will also be linear and guided. You can tell, okay, well, something changes here. I'm going to go look at this picture that's uploaded and see where I'm going to put this on my paper map in front of me. Okay. And so I can figure out kind of where I think the contacts are. But that's not enough because you have to do the geometry, right? So you, right. Have to, you have to have the strike and dip of these beds. and Well, you have to the dip, I guess. Well, and the strike dip, yeah. Anyway. Well, you, you, can, you can approximate the strike. And if you just measure Correct. the dip, then you've got dip direction as God intended and right. so on and so forth. <laughs> Right. Um, <laughs> so you've got to have the dip. Now, there's a really cool strike and dip app, not app, plug-in thing that's being developed. And God bless them. They are trying to get it done for us to use for camp. <laughs> okay. So they literally started on it in April when this was all apparent that things were going south. And they're like, oh, man, <laughs> let's get this done. So define they. Um, so Alex Klippel and Bart Masters are at Penn State. Um, I think they're in geography, not geology. And then uh, Hannah Rigel, I think it is, at Appalachian State. Um, okay. And so we got a hold of this. It's pretty cool. It was something, and this was the terrifying thing to have to do. It was something that was going to take us too much time to try to figure out. And therefore, we had to jettison it as an idea because we had to solve the problem. And we just didn't have enough time to learn how to use the tool, which they call the sad tool, strike and dip. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's really funny. And they're like, it's a terrible acronym, sad. That's my initials. So <laughs> I told him it's it was true. fine. <laughs> um, so it's really neat. I think we're going to use it anyway for other things that we do, like other exercises we do. But to solve this problem and to make it easier on the students who haven't used GIS, who haven't used the web app. What we did was one of my TAs had this awesome app called Solocator. Solocator. Okay. What, yeah. Um, she was an intern at FEMA last year, and they used it there. And so we bought, like, the upgraded version, which was a pocket-blowing $5. <laughs> And what it does is it has, um, as you go around, it has a declination that it puts on the top on the picture. And so it has like a little time stamp and a Latin long and then a yep. declination as you go around. Yeah. So we just. Or, you what? mean like an azimuth, like the direction azimuth, facing? An azimuth, yes, yes, yes. Okay, sorry. yeah. Sorry. Azimuth, as you go around. Um, and so we just took pictures in the direction of strike. Okay. So we've got these pictures in the direction of strike. It has the azimuth on the picture. And you can download this little Google Chrome plugin called Protractor. Yep. <laughs> and you just stick it on that picture, and now you've got your strike and dip. So it's okay. not as easy as them trying to find a picture of us just having, like, showing a compass which is what we were almost gonna do right they actually have to figure out okay so 
this actually is in the strag direction because we use that soul locator on every picture we took. Um, that one's, you know, perpendicular to dip. I'm going to get my protractor out. Now that's my dip. I've got these two contacts. I guess this is what it is. Okay. Yeah, I thought that was fancy. So now they got that. They got their contacts. We'll have them put in their contacts, and then we'll help them with that a little bit so they don't get super crazy stuff. And in order to describe the rocks, like this is the time where they take four days with their noses on these rocks. And they spend a lot of time with this specific stratigraphy because it's what we use the rest of the time. So we didn't want to do the strat column and then never look at these rocks again, right? So that's why we're doing at least one of the mapping projects using the same units. And so we're like, okay, how do you, how do you describe this rock um, when you can't touch it? You know, we even contemplated like building kits and sending them to them, but <laughs> I was wondering if that was the answer. Yeah, no, <laughs> that is an answer, and some people are actually doing that um, for their field camps. But I don't have that kind of wherewithal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> people are taking out cubic meters of terrapans dolomite everywhere to, <laughs> to send to their students. Exactly, just to send it. So I was like, all right, I'm not gonna do this. Um, so a couple of the softwares, well. This one software we had seen, and lots of people didn't like it, um, but we wound up loving it. And it's called ThingLink, T-H-I-N-G-L-I-N-K. Okay. Okay. So I told you we took all these soul locator pictures, but we also took panoramas. And then we also downloaded Google Street View, and you can take 360 photos with your phone. Hmm. So we were thinking about trying to check out our library has 360-degree cameras. And we were going to check those out and take a bunch of those. But it was just like one more. We were also taking a gigapan with us. And so it was just one more piece of technology that we'd have to learn. And so... Charge the batteries on like a geophysicist. <laughs> God, we had so <laughs> many batteries. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> and so... My TA was like, look, we just use this Google Street View thing. It takes great 360 photos. And it did. It was amazing. So we've got these panoramas. We have just regular pictures and these 360 photos. And what ThingLink does, besides be kind of hard to say, <laughs> is you can take these images and upload them. And then you can start to annotate them. And this seemed really cool. So... We have our Google web app and it's got a pin, right? And on that pin, like what it shows is there's another little pin right beside it. That's a strike and dip picture because we wanted that to be very obvious. Like these black markers are the ones that are strike and dips, right? And then there's another little thing beside it. And you'll see in the Google web app that there's a couple of pictures with it. But one of those things is a link to ThingLink. And the ThingLink will open the Pano or our 360, and we will have annotations all over them. So the annotations, you can click on. Okay, so they're just like little, some of them are little cameras. So the little camera you can click on, and you know that's a picture of the rock. We have a little exclamation mark, which is, I love this part. This, I think, is the best that we did. A link to a YouTube video of us pouring acid on the rock. Nice. Yeah. 
I'm looking at this app right now. It's pretty cool. It is very poorly rated, but it does look cool. I know, and I don't understand. (laughs) I don't understand why people didn't like it because it's like it. Here's the one thing it didn't do that we wanted it to do, but we came up with a workaround, which is what you do when you have to get it done, (laughs) right? And so our workaround is there is a website called EasyZoom. And so we go to, so the deal was you can't zoom in on these images and, and keep any of the integrity of it, right? So these thing links are kind of fixed images and the little links you can embed other pictures, but you still can't really zoom in on it. But what you can do is you can embed a picture that you've uploaded to this other website called Easy Zoom, and then you can zoom in on the picture, Okay. So yeah. within the thing link, you can zoom in on the picture. And that worked really well. So we took, not only did we take like up close, you know, oh gosh, what is that word in photography where you take up close pictures? Macro? Yep. <laughs> not only we do, did we do that, I brought a Dynalite along. So a little handheld microscope. And I brought back pieces of all the units. And I have Dynalite photos of them at 50 or 100 magnification. And so we put those on the easy zoom too. Hmm. Okay. So basically they have everything that they would have walking up to it. They have sort of an overview picture, an up close picture. They have a video of acid being put on it so they know if it effervesces. And then they have a zoomed in picture, like if they were just looking at it with their face. And then they have basically a hand lens picture as well. So what else What else would you need to <laughs> describe these rocks? I mean, did you describe their uh, feel in your mouth? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I'm going to have to go back out. I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> there are a few of them that I wish I would have done that. Um, so, yeah. So to, that seemed pretty good to us. Like, that's uh, that's what they'd need to do. And so that suite of images goes with the stratigraphy building part of the exercise and they'll do that and that along with that first day field trip that they can watch and rewatch and I imagine I will use forever actually I that is a resource that is a hundred percent fantastic it might even be something that I give people before camp next year say then you don't have to take time at camp to do it uh, correct. Um, you can do things like GIS tutorials. Uh, that is absolutely correct. Um, so yeah, it's real good because you give them a test over it. And so therefore, you know that they've done it. The other thing you can embed in this web app <laughs> is Google quizzes. Ooh. So now are you all using Google Classroom as a university? No. Okay. No, we are not. I don't know if that has been discussed ever, but we're not. See, because I didn't even know Google did this. And so uh, someone on one of these things said, oh, yeah, you can embed these Google Forms. And then someone said, oh, you can actually use Google Quizzes. So I have one of these thing links, which is great, because now this is a way to make sure students are doing it, right? Um, Right. And seeing everything. So I've embedded in one of our thing links a google quiz and it was a picture of me and my cat and it said is this a rock or a cat and it worked so (laughs) so are you going to be doing 
Like, is field camp going to be a long Zoom call, or is it going to be like a morning Zoom oh, call, no. and then they do things themselves for the rest of the day and check back in? Yes. Um, so this is obviously also a lot of discussion, and a lot of people have very strong feelings about this one way or the other. And my feeling is, I still have two children at home, and no way am I going back to sitting in front of a computer for eight hours a day. That is why I quit my job before. <laughs> <laughs> um, and lots of people say, well, unless you're with them all the time and making them engage, you're missing out on the whole, you know, at field camp, you go on the field and then you take an hour break for dinner and taking a shower, maybe, and then you work all night. <laughs> this can't be replicated in a virtual environment. You just can't and do it. Unpopular opinion probably is that shouldn't be the situation anyway. I mean, that is a little bit of an unpopular opinion. <laughs> um, I think that we need to realize that this is something totally different. Yes, it's got the same name, but it's something totally different. And good things are going to come out of it. And maybe, just like you said, maybe that is one good thing that will come out of it. You know? Um, but it, I think it's ridiculous to assume that these students have the same amount of I don't know, memory in their brains to operate in field camp mode when they're at their homes, when all this weird stuff's happening, when they're going into the worst job market ever, <laughs> you know, like, no, I'm not going to do that. And I can't do that because I have two kids, so I'm not going to sit here all day. So what we're doing is, and this does approximate what we do in the field anyway, um, we'll have a morning meeting every me morning, like 830, because I'm not a monster. Uh, <laughs> oh come on you're not gonna vans are rolling out at seven with or without you <laughs> not in a million um so 8 30 we'll talk about stuff maybe it'll be half an hour maybe an hour i'm gonna try to do well okay we'll do that um some things will be group work and i don't know how that's gonna work uh these little zoom breakout meeting rooms work pretty well so i'll probably try to do group work in my field methods course what i did was i assigned six people to three different projects so i had 18 students and i said talk if you want but only talk within your group right and it's like i think that worked fairly well and then it lets the people like you and i that don't want to work with people <laughs> and lets them not work with people if they don't want to, you know, and then the people who need to talk to other people can. Um, so I think I'm going to do a mix, much so than we would in normal field camp, because, I mean, the field partners are primarily there for safety. And so we don't have that need as much um, here. So we'll meet. I'll have their little groups meet. I'll check in with their groups. I'll send them to do their thing. And much like I do in the field, I'll say, I'm going to be on this mountaintop at 1 p.m. If you have questions, make sure you're here. You will see me there. You know, and I'll be here at 3 p.m. If you have questions, see me there. And so my TA and I are going to sort of switch off being available during the day. And then we'll have one more meeting in the afternoon at like 4.30, which is when we would be wrapping up anyway. And sort of go over, like, does anybody have questions? Um, things like that. But I'm going to try to do it as 
ugh, not to use a bud word, a buzzword, but as asynchronously as possible, because it's just easier. We all have enough to worry about, you know what I mean? And so it's like being able to jump on for an hour and work on it during the day when you can, I think is important. So I'm going to try to do all of my um, lectures. I'm going to record them on Zoom and just make them available and say, hey, make sure you've watched this one by this date. Here you go. And I'm also going to make them be very active on discussion boards because it's like one person's going to ask a question that everybody's going to have and it's going to do everyone no good if that person is in the Zoom meeting at 104 and asks it and no one else hears it, you know? Um, right. So I'm going to make them be really active on the discussion boards and that's going to take the place of sort of those in the field teaching moments where somebody asks me and I say, okay, everybody stop, everybody listen to this. And it's actually right. might get like, it might get better conveyed this way because everyone's going to have to look at the discussion board. Well, and also, you know, somebody can't misremember or mishear. Yes. Exactly. And if you get to do this again at some point or some modified version of this, you're building up a knowledge base. Uh, that is exactly right. <laughs> um, yeah, I like it. I think I'm going to learn just as much as the students are. So that's how we're going to work that. Uh, we'll probably have less questions and stuff like this for the stratigraphy. But the mapping part, so it's in the same area. It's built in the same area in terms of the web app. And they'll have access to all the stratigraphy. But this was pretty good, I think. So um, we set it up in sort of three different colors. You can't actually change the little place marks on the Google web app very much. There's a very limited amount of symbology you can use. Right. So like you can't use stars and then the little place marks. They're all basically place marks. So you can do colors. So we've got our mapping area divided into three colors. But the deal about the mapping area and when I met with um, a small group in this NAGT thing, we came out with nine learning objectives for field camp. And they're like the basics, like what should students be getting out of a capstone course? And it should be able to be applied to anything. And so we came up with these nine learning objectives. Um, and one of them was, and I think this is super important, as I know you do, like creating and implementing a field campaign, essentially. Yeah, so figuring out, Here's a problem that's not step one, step two, step three. How are you going to solve it? Right. Correct. And that's what they'll do in the workforce. It's 100% what they'll do for a master's degree, if that's where they're going. Um, and so, <laughs> Or if it's a PhD, it's, you know, we're not even going to tell you the problem. You get to figure out the problem first, and then you get to figure out the way to solve it. <laughs> yes, that is exactly right. So, so this is more master's level. <laughs> Um, and so we thought, how do we take away, because this is kind of how the web app is kind of meant to like tell a story linear, linearly as well, just like the tour builder. And so we color coded these groups and we're making it exploratory. So day one, what would happen is in the field, I would have walked through the, all these places and stopped at sort of the main point in each one of these color coded places and talked a little bit about it. So I'll do all that asynchronously now. And they're going to have to go out and explore it. 
Like, cool. that's it. Yeah. So we're actually, because we were all discussing how that's the hardest one is having them design something. Because you don't want them building it. They don't know enough about the, the area and stuff. But this way, it's more of a discovery-led type organization as opposed to this linear thing. So they have to decide, like, where they're going to spend their time, even if it's from their chair. But, you know, which area is going to take the most time? Which one's going to make the story make more sense? You know, how do I process all this info that we're taking in? And so we have a couple of gigapans in that, which turned out okay for our first time gigapanning. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's nice. And so we can take the gigapans hosted on gigapan, which you can see it and zoom into it on the web app. Um, and then we've got, you know, tons of panoramas of the thing links. So they should be able to figure out, you know, which direction they're facing what they're looking at and we'll definitely tell them too. like, feel free to have Google earth pro on. It looks a lot better in some of this stuff than this web app. So there's no stopping what you can use to help figure out where you are. And, but we're still, and this is the thing that some places aren't doing. We're still going to use paper topo maps though. Okay. And my thought is, we're going to do that because these students don't have dual monitors, which is an easy way to have a mapping program up and the web app. Well, and it, it still requires, like, if you're, if it's all, if you've already got the data points on there and they're going to make the digital map, it's a little copy pasty. Exactly. That, that, so that's what my TA argued was that it's not easy to translate that topo to that satellite photo. And that's exactly right and exactly how it should be. Like, you see the ridge on the topo. You see the ridge on the satellite photo. Now figure out where you are in relation to that. And I, I like that. I think that's a good, a good thinking exercise. It's a good spatial exercise. And that's why I have... Um, I resisted. There's this program out there called Strabo Spot. I've talked about it on here before. Um, Doug Walker from Kansas made it. And it's it does everything for you. Like, it's a digital field notebook. It has a GPS. It shows you lo your location on both a topo and a satellite image. And I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think there still needs to be, this still has to be something that takes time and you get learning from versus just copy-pasting points from one program to another. You're not learning geology through that. Right. I'm not sure paper's the right way to do it, but it's the way that can happen in the constrained set of time we have. Right. That's exactly what we thought. We even thought about like printing off like big love my 17 pieces and sending them to them. But turns out we can't even get into the office, so we can't do that. <laughs> um, but I think I think we'll still do that. It'll take time. It'll teach them some more spatial stuff. I think that's a good a good answer. So that's what so that's what they're gonna do for it. So that's gonna be not our first two weeks. Our first two weeks are gonna be like software type stuff, like just doing some fun Google Earth exercises. Um and then a bunch of these 
people that I've been working with have done their own Google Earth stuff. And so they'll be walking through that to kind of learn it. So then maybe they'll be able to manipulate it a little bit better before they get into this like real meaty mapping exercise. Okay. That's, that's a pretty cool plan. <sighs> oh, it is exhausting. <laughs> and so much of this, so just like I said before, it is like, we had to come up with while we were appropriately socially distancing, like what's our workflow? You know, before we started, we'd kind of come up with this, like everyone should like pick one and focus on it. So we didn't all just know a little bit about everything, but we knew one of them really well that we could tell each other like where you could use it, you know? And that's kind of what we did. And it worked even though we picked some of the things while we were sitting there. Um, so that worked really well. We had to figure out, you know, what software we're going to use because <laughs> Mate really wanted to use Google Earth Pro because he was familiar with it. You could load KMZ files. And so the Solocator app creates KMZ files that you can export. Okay. Yeah. So it's got all the stuff and you could just upload it directly. But the web app, everyone that had worked in it said, do not upload your KML files, or your KMZ files, like create a new project and just start from scratch. Because I guess the functionality of other stuff starts to break down if you've brought in KML files already. Oh. Yeah, and we found that out <laughs> because he refused to do it. <laughs> <laughs> you were warned and you proved it. Correct. <laughs> and it's like, it just wound up, it would... It would overwrite them weird, like if we had things that were close to each other. And so it worked out for us because we knew the area so well that we could just move them ourselves. But I could see if you were trying to do something with someone else's data, you would never know enough to fix it, and then it wouldn't be correct. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, so we dealt with that. We dealt with, like, how do we share stuff? Because even though our computers were, you know, 10 feet apart from each other, it was hard because I have, I use Dropbox, and students don't pay for Dropbox, right? And so the free Dropbox wasn't enough room for us to share stuff. And then, like, my TA said, I want this out of my Dropbox. I wound up deleting the whole folder, even though I owned it, she deleted it. <laughs> right. Which is no big deal. Like, I, I got it right back, obviously, in Dropbox. So we're like, okay. So we'll go to our OneDrive, because our university OneDrive is feasibly infinite. I hope you heard the mocking tone. <laughs> I would say, that sounds like that was tested. <laughs> and so, like, I make this thing. I migrate everything from Dropbox over. And she's working in it, and she winds up, like, grabbing the folder, and it's gone from my stuff. I don't even know how it happened. And so my OneDrive says she deleted it. <laughs> Hers just says it's there being shared by me, and so it was, oh, that was a pain, too. And I hate to admit it, but the easiest thing, which we could only do this one way, I had the only Mac, and she had the only iPad or iPhone. And the easiest thing was she just, we just made her take the pictures because she could airdrop them to me. Yeah. That's, I've heard of worse solutions. Yeah. I mean, it worked. It was the quickest for us to do. Um, we had like 50 little SD cards everywhere. <laughs> SD and micro SD because the DJI Osmo 
was micro SD, and then most of us had SD slots on the computers, and yeah, it was, that part was the nightmare, but it was also the thing that had to get solved right away, because we all had to know exactly where this stuff was living, you know? And it's weird, there was only three of us, but to, like, try to come up with, like, how are we going to name these files? Those conversations were ridiculously long. These are the things that people laugh at software engineers and other tech professionals about, and they're really hard. Yeah. And they're super important because those decisions will haunt you for decades in some cases. Oh my gosh. (laughs) All I, I know, I always, because we had several jokes about, is this the final, final version or the... And it's like, I think about the movie Mars Attacks. I don't know if you've watched it. I've watched it a billion times. I love this movie. Yeah. And so the aliens in there, if people listening don't know, you know, they talk and they're like, they were going to come up with an alien language. And that's just what they did on the fly to like take up the space. Right. And then it wound up being the thing they used. Right. So don't ever think you're going to fix it later because it never happens. There are so many temporary permanent patches yes. that are out there. <laughs> yes, exactly. And and we came up with a good thing, but I, we were not uploading one thing until we were all in agreement on what we we're calling stuff and where it was living. <laughs> and that yes. was so important. But it did. I mean, we talked for an hour about like how we thought, like, okay, if I need to go in and get this thing, where am I going to look? Do I want something by day? Do I want it by location? Which was a problem because one of our TAs had never been out there. And one of them had been out there, you know, three years. So one of them knew very well where things were. One of them had no idea. I mean, she doesn't have to. That's not. (laughs) She's only helping for this part. Um, But she'd never been there. You know, so we couldn't do it by location. We couldn't say Red Hill, which one of my TAs and I know completely where that is because she had no idea. So, yeah, it was very interesting. So we wound up doing it by product. So, like, pano photos, soul locator photos, uh, 360 photos, DJI videos. And then within those, we did it by day. But what we also thought of, praise the Lord, we thought of this before we started, was that when we named the photos, we didn't want to name them the units because I'd give it away. Obviously, yeah. Yeah. So what do you do, right? So yeah, it was we got into a really good groove of just of numbering them. And then we kept one notebook with the numbers. And it worked really well. So I love that that's the solution you came up with because I fought for a long time tracking all of the thousands of resistors and screws and all this kind of stuff that I have. Mm-hmm. And first I was like, okay, well I'm going to call, you know, if it's a resistor, the first letter is going to be R and then it's going to have the value and that's going to have the size. But then eventually that would work for a month or two. And I'd come up with something that's going to have a duplicate part name. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I was like, mm, okay, well I got to adjust, adjust my schema so you do that, and then you go back, and you have 500 parts to rename. Yeah, yeah. It was crazy. Uh, 
So that's exactly what I did. I said, if power flows through it, it starts with a one. If no power flows through it, it starts with a two. After that, I'm numbering them. Oh, oh, oh. okay. And that is exactly what we've been doing no uh, for over a year now is if power flows through it, it's a one dash. And then there are seven digits that are a number. And if power doesn't flow through it, it's a two dash. Oh, and that is our whole inventory system. <laughs> so it means nothing. Except for the person holding the notebook key. <laughs> exactly. But, but that's it is fine. uniquely identifiable. Yes. And you'll never need to redo it. <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's that's very interesting because I was like, no, this is dumb. And then because this was not my idea. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> and then I took like four photos and I'm like, no, this is right. <laughs> like I was getting all angry out there. I'm like, no, they're not even listening to me. And I'm like, oh, no, they have a better idea. So I'm going to go with it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah, that was a much better idea. Mm-hmm. So and this is also why, you know, when people gripe about when you're writing Say you're writing some Python code, uh, you know, and I, I insist that you follow the, the PEP8 guidelines. So, you know, you're putting spaces around your operators and your variable names have underscores instead of capital letters. And, you know, why? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like, no, it doesn't matter, but it's standardized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It works either way, but that standardization makes it so you and I and somebody that's never seen this code before can all talk about it intelligently within 30 seconds. Exactly. I mean, because if we had done it my way, we would have had to rename every file when we uploaded it into the web app. And that was that's ridiculous, right? But now we don't have to do them at all. The ones that have an A are the acid photos or videos. That's all I need to know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, so that was a lot. There's still more, I'm sure, that we could talk about, which we can go into at a later date. Maybe if people are experiencing online field camp this summer, I would love to hear what they have to say. Maybe if people are trying to teach it, I'd also love to hear what they have to say about that. And I have lots of resources for it. So yeah, so the rest of field camp, we'll talk about it in the upcoming weeks, I imagine. But that's Two weeks of the hardest week of work I've done in a very long time. <laughs> That's good. I was looking forward to hearing about how this was going to work. So I, I'm excited to see how things go. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of really great things that other people developed too. I actually did um, not a run through of ours, but highlighted it. We've, we've been having these Monday meetings, um, which are, you know, hundreds of people doing stuff that have been doing stuff for camp. And so I highlighted ours at the Monday meeting. I've already had a couple of people that have come and said, you know, I want to use this. So this is what we're going to do tomorrow is frantically try to at least finish it to give it to people to start to review and say, Hey, immediately, this is what you need to change. And then I can change it and have it ready to go by next week. All right. (sighs) And then I'll cry about it on here next Monday. (laughs) (laughs) well i guess with that we should wrap up and move on to everybody's favorite segment of the show fun paper friday i'm not even gonna say yay this was terrible this paper was terrible so daryl thank you for sending this in (laughs) Uh, i thoroughly enjoyed reading this oh and this is from the air accidents investigation branch uh, that's a uk branch and it is on the uh, the 
aircraft registered as GPOWN, which is an Airbus A321 cargo aircraft and an incident that it had back uh, several years ago. Uh, don't you love that this is G-Pwn? Did you read that like that every time? <laughs> I did. And actually, no. So looking at the report, I'm correct. It is several years ago that the aircraft was manufactured. This is a recent incident. So it was February of this year. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. This was so scary. <laughs> so scary. And it was eye-opening as in how this stuff gets gets reported and investigated. So many people messed up so much stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like, completely. Mm-hmm. And this is why, this will sound very morbid, but this is why I love reading reports on aircraft accidents, ship accidents, <laughs> anything like that, because it's never, you know, we're pretty good at designing systems that have multi-point failure required for a disaster. And we're also pretty good at circumventing them, which is, you know, summarized in the, if you make it idiot proof, they'll make a better idiot. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, but there's always this fascinating thing of, you know, well, person X made this little mistake, which wouldn't have been a big deal, but person Y made this little mistake, which also wouldn't have been a big deal, but factor Z in the alignment of the moon made those two things combine <laughs> to have something really bad happen. Oh, uh, and this is definitely it. Um, I just noticed, John, I don't know... You- when this happened, there weren't passengers on board, which I didn't see. I mean, there were on the two previous flights this dumb plane took before it caught on fire. Right. Uh, so that's so, nice. And there were no injuries at all. But uh, lots and, of mess ups. So not to get to the punchline, uh, the the events that happened were this aircraft took off from Gatwick just after midnight. And about 500 feet above ground level, there was a bang, and there were flames coming out of the number one engine, and it started surging. And before they could get back to the airport, the number two engine started surging and then stalled. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And they landed successfully 11 minutes later. That flight path is terrifying to see how quickly they identified this and how far they had to go to turn around. Cause I mean, they got up to, um, what did it say? 3,500 feet. Yeah. And I mean, you still have to, you can't just, yeah. it's not flight simulator. You still have to have a little glide slope, even though you can accelerate it, but uh huh. yeah. And you know, it's Gatwick. It's not like it was some tiny airport where there's five other airplanes that you could tell to get out of the way. Right. Um, right. And so the reasoning behind, and this is what's scary and leads to the multiple people failed because there were engine issues with this plane two other times, right? Right. Two other flights before this. And, you know, they would say, well, we can't get the engine to start. And the response was, eh, try it again. Yeah. And then it started. (laughs) And then it's like, okay, it's fine. And that happened three times. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's like rebooting your computer or when people are like, you just need to get your car out on the interstate and, you know, blow the carbon blow out. Blow it like, out. Th- th- there's no backup to that. That's just. No, exactly. Just a thing we feel like needs to be done. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, and then they had, and this is where software is scary, right? 
<laughs> because during one of the flights, you know, they had some, they couldn't get the engine started. And then in the flight, um, they had a, a little warning thing that said that the engine was stalling, right? But it just like flickered on and off. Wasn't a right. big deal. I mean, everything gets reported when it happens to an airplane, but they hadn't noticed anything. They had some like vibration, but whatever. Um, and then that was fine. They landed. They go to use this aircraft again with a different crew, and it was the same thing. The engine didn't start, and then it started again. Okay, we're fine. Oh, my gosh. And then there's an engineer who has to check out all those faults, and he messed that up a little bit. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I guess there's – and this is – it's crazy to think. I mean, we just had 50 minutes where we talked about software. Like, I can't imagine the software that goes into running a computer. But one of the things he had to check, it turned out, like, he ran a troubleshooting diagnostic, but he ran it – incorrectly because they didn't have the updated software and he didn't choose the exact model of airplane and so therefore when he ran it it was like oh everything's fine nothing came back wrong with it right (laughs) and this is you know one of the fun things of unlike having and you know we've battled this at, at my shop too of you know do you store everything digitally or do you actually have a a dead tree book sitting beside each machine Mm -hmm. so they have everything digitally and sometimes the documentation digitally can get out of sync with the hardware that you actually have which turns out was really important in this case though man for as much as an airbus costs this software is comically terrible (laughs) in terms of the ui (laughs) i love it there's (laughs) Yeah, it's really funny. (laughs) I was like, man, is that a golf club on that? I don't under... One's a flag pointing up. One's a flag pointing down that looks like a golf club. One's an eyeball. (laughs) I don't know what's happening here. (laughs) This is like a very mid-90s version of Excel. Yeah, they just look like wingdings. (laughs) Yeah. Like the menu looks like wingdings. One's a wrench. One's an airplane. That's super helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in the airplane, it looks like it has a funnel by it. Yeah. Yeah. So does that mean fuel? The thing that's beside that looks like stacks of little coins. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. That was, I also thought that was super funny. Um, So all these little things add up to the third time when they take off and their engines essentially explode. And... (laughs) They make it back down. What I was really disturbed about, and this is sort of the nitty gritty of this, on one of those flights before flames shot out, they said that they couldn't like, whenever they put more than 50% thrust on the engines, it started like shaking. (laughs) Right. And doing some weird stuff. And so the rest of the time they were just like, okay, we just won't take it above. We'll just keep it around 49%. Even after reporting that, they still got the okay to keep, to take off in this airplane again. Yeah, so that's interesting. (laughs) So that was the one that was like, 
My gosh. Are they so, like, pressed for time and so pressured to keep things on schedule and going that the fact that they couldn't put more than 50% thrust on this engine and it shook, they weren't going to take this plane out of rotation? That's terrible. Well, and there was there was some, I think you could go to higher thrust, too, but there was, like, a range where it was not working. Yeah. So that uh, just... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so there are obviously some problems, but again, you know, okay, let's get this to the end of this busy period or the schedule or whatever, or back to our home oh. base. Uh, and when you start going back through the paper trail here, you see that as part of routine maintenance, they had tested the fuel or the fuel tanks by taking a fuel sample to see if there's any bacterial growth because... If you've got a tank, no matter what's in it, if it's hot, if it's acid, no matter what it is, eventually microbes are going to grow in it and gum up the works. Right. And uh, you don't so it just happens. That. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, even on like something as dumb as milling machines, we have bacterial infections that can get in the coolant of the machine. And you test for that. And they did that on this aircraft and they found bacteria. And so they said, well, this is an expected thing that happens. We need to go do a biocide shock treatment. Okay. All right. Yes. So they they pull open the manual, and it says that for a moderate contamination like this, you take cathon biocide, and you put a concentration of 100 ppm by volume in the tanks, and, you know, I let it sit for up to 24 hours and fly. Good to go. And this is done by what I'm assuming they say the approved maintenance organization. So this is somebody else that is contracted out to do this stuff, right? That's what this means? Uh, yeah, to me, that sounds like a contractor probably. Right. Okay. So that's what I thought. And so they call him the AMO engineer. <laughs> I don't know if it's so, clear to me that this person is truly an engineer. <laughs> no, I would say it's aircraft maintenance officer, probably. Um, and yeah, that's that. There have been discussions of this in other podcasts too. Uh, when you know some states in the U.S. are very strict about unless you are a PE, you cannot use the word engineer. Uh, See, but they, the engineer is referred to as the AMO engineer, the, the AMO being the contractor. And it says he's licensed, but after you tell him what happened, I don't know what this licensure is in. <laughs> right. So they, uh, <laughs> they read this procedure uh, and they know that they're going to be putting uh, 6,200 kilograms of fuel into the tanks. And whoever this engineer technician, whatever it is, uh, they, oh no, AMO is the contracting company. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they said, uh, well, we, we're not really sure how to calculate parts per million. Um, <laughs> so we're going to find an online calculator. <laughs> so we Google it, how to calculate parts per million. We click on the first link, we punch some numbers in and we're done. And they clearly did not use the right thing because when they did this, uh, they somehow got a quantity of 30 kilograms of the cathon. <laughs> and they looked at stock and they said, well, we've got 150 kilograms in stock. So we're not going to, I mean, if you're going to use all of it, then you might. 
but we're not going to use all. We're going to use, you know, less than a third. Uh, okay. So requisitioned 60 kilograms, 30 for each tank. Oh. Now, if you do the calculation, you really should have 0.8 kilograms per tank. Point eight. It says that the engineer was not even familiar with the term PPM. Like, I get it. Maybe you're not a chemical engineer, but my goodness. Um, so instead of point eight kilos, he has 30 kilos per tank. I'm so sure, now that we've... Uh... <laughs> I'm just sure it burns like jet fuel, right? <laughs> yeah, so now that we've got 30 times the amount of biocide in the tanks we let it sit for 24 hours <laughs> you know the tanks haven't melted off the airplane so the task card gets stamped as complete and another task card is created that says in 10 days or after five flights we're going to check the tanks for bacteria again and ship it <laughs> so the plane rolls out and this whole saga begins of oh. the engine starting trouble and so on. Because as it turns out, when you put that much uh, fuel or that much cathon in the fuel, it causes the, uh, the fuel and this cathon to separate. And so the engine starts sucking pure biocide off okay. the bottom of the tank and they don't run on biocide. No, no, not even a little bit. And so, I mean, they pour out the fuel it's super gross <laughs> and then they find like basically powdered cathon all over everything when they put a borescope in which prompted the question why didn't we put borescopes into the engines when someone complained about the engines in the first place because they definitely would have seen this in there and there was like gunk and brown deposits all over the combustion chamber <laughs> this is nasty looking in these pictures and all yeah, when you look is... at that, you're like, I can't believe this plane is not a hole in the ground. Yeah, correct. Like, that it even made it off in the first place. Um, yeah, so that's really scary. It's scary that a plane can throw a, a stall code and people are like, meh, it's probably nothing. Because most of the time it probably is nothing. But sometimes it is something. And sometimes it's, you know ant killer in your fuel time tank. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, this so, is crazy. This was super crazy. And obviously it's still, this is cool to read because it's still an active investigation. Right. Yeah. So, hmm. so no, it was an interesting one. And, you know, just a, a friendly reminder that a series of unfortunate events at any time <laughs> could oh cause an unexpected gosh. issue in anything we do yes exactly hmm. okay great thanks daryl i'm never flying again now <laughs> <laughs> well if you would like to send in the results of your cathon experiments or concentration <laughs> calculations we would love to see those shannon how can folks get a hold of us show at don'tpanicgeocast.com uh, you can find us on twitter at don't panic geo john is at geo underscore lehman i'm at shannon doolin um we're on the slack channel the software underground the don't panic channel um and as always if you would like to support our podcast and enjoy listening to us you may do so at patreon uh you can find us patreon.com slash don't panic geo and until next week remember don't panic it's not an exact science 
Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views